For me, what it means to be embodied is, embodied is to be in alignment, to be in alignment with my body, my mind, my soul, and to see all of those things as a, a massive part of my whole being. And many of us live uh, not embodied, right? We live in our minds, kind of what we talked about. We, we prioritize the, the wisdom of the mind and we live um, overworked, overwhelmed, overstressed, uh, underrested. And so part of, part of the work that I do is to really empower people back into this place of embodiment and to, um, to get back into the body. I use this language of coming back home to the body or getting mm -hmm. back into the body. And I use it because I lived uh, outside of my body for a long time, right? And, and so when we come back in, you can almost imagine it if you just sit here and you like allow your eyes to close and you drop in for a moment, you can feel yourself come back. So in my work, I do a lot of embodiment practices because I find that uh, when we are embodied, then we are connected and then we can tap into that intuition and self-trust. Let's link up with Krista on The Fix. She's a wellness coach with a focus on mental well-being and physical strength. Welcome back to episode 34 of The Fix. As always, I am your host, Krista Huber, and today very excited to introduce you to a fellow coach, friend, and just all-around powerhouse female, and soon-to-be mom, Kara Elise Campbell. Kara is a coach who covers pretty much anything. Um, it's really hard to describe the work that she does in just one word, but her big mission, as you'll hear right out of the gate in this chat today, is to encourage and empower women to trust themselves, to come back home to their bodies, to listen to their gut and really tune into what we know intrinsically inside of ourselves, but just building up the confidence to be able to follow through on those thoughts, those feelings, that intuition. Kara is the type of person that when I was thinking about how to introduce this conversation, I can best sum it up this way. Super friendly, outgoing, has a warm and infectious smile that if you were standing in line at a coffee shop or something like that, she's super approachable and you could start a conversation off of complimenting each other's outfits. And then within 10 minutes, you're having this deep, deep conversation about consciousness and what really moves you and inspires you to get out of bed every single day. She's just the type of girl that you feel like you've known your entire life, even if you've only met her for five minutes. And I absolutely love that about her. I love that that shines through in this conversation over an audio medium. And I'm just really excited for everybody to get to hear her story, what she's learned from it, both professionally, personally, in her love life, and the beautiful, amazing life that she's since cultivated for herself after really learning to believe in herself, trust herself, heal from so many of what we referred to as the shoulds and have tos of life. We cover everything from understanding your childhood to figuring out what you want out of your career, the timing of meeting the person who is your soulmate, especially when you're grappling with 
it seeming like everyone else is getting married, having kids, being at a certain stage where you feel behind or you feel like you just haven't gotten there yet. You haven't met your person and how she found that person and her husband, Caleb. We also discussed learning to listen to your body in the form of intuitive eating, which is something that Kara found after realizing that she spent many years living in a world of disordered eating and how that has changed her approach to movement as well, moving her body because it feels good, because she wants to, because it makes her feel better versus for the sake of burning calories. So all around, really amazing conversation, especially for all the ladies out there. Definitely applies to the guys too, but I think you will absolutely love this one. And if you do, please share it, screenshot, wherever you're listening to the episode, throw it up on your Instagram stories, give us a tag. All of Kara's info as well as mine is linked down in the show notes. And if you have any any questions about the show, please reach out to me. Best place to find me is on Instagram at the Krista Huber. And I would love to hear from you guys. With that, let's turn it over to Kara. Kara, welcome to the Fix Podcast. I'm so excited and honored to have you as a guest today. And to get things started, I'd love to know so the audience can get to know you. Who is Kara Campbell and why should we care about what you have to say today? Mm, I love this question. Krista, first, thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here with you. I feel like even looking at you, I'm just smiling because you carry such a glowy, lovely energy. Thank you. Um, Who is Kara Campbell? I am Kara Campbell, Kara Elise Campbell. Uh, I just got married in September of last year, so I've taken on a new last name, which has been interesting with my branding and identity. But who am I? I am someone who is here to empower you into self-trust. That's who I am. I'm here to empower you into your fullest life and to make sure that you get to live the life that you're dreaming of. I'm someone who I had all of these dreams of what my life would look like. And part of me stepping into those dreams were really was really learning how to remove the barriers or the blocks or the things that were keeping me from those things. So now I work with women one-on-one and in a group context to really empower them to step into the life that they long for. And we do that through a lot of different modalities, but essentially I am here to help you love your life. I love that. That's that's beautiful. And I, I can't wait to talk more about some of the barriers that you've experienced and sharing your story. And then maybe even share some smaller solutions and insights into what you work with with these women in these one-on-one and group coaching settings. So excited for that. But before we unpack all of it, I'd love to know the signature fix question is, what is your go-to coffee order? I know you're not a huge caffeine drinker, so you could tell us about a tea or whatever it is that you want to talk about. Some people share their like morning routine with me. Yes. Well, I'm a seven on the Enneagram, which means I like variety and a lot of different things. So I change up my morning drinks. Right now I'm really into matchas. I'm a huge matcha drinker and oat milk matcha. Um, but there's a place down the road from my house that has the best cold brew that I've ever had. So I, Ooh, you know, I'll venture and have cold, cold brew. brew. I've gone through um, a, a complicated relationship with caffeine for a long time. I drank it. I drank like six cups of coffee a day. And then I went completely off of caffeine because it was just messing with my adrenals. And now I'm back on caffeine a little bit here and there. I love coffee, the flavor of coffee, coffee culture, walking into a coffee shop. I love um, but yeah, I would say if I had to pick a drink for this morning, I would go with an oat milk matcha. I love oat milk. I'm so glad that like became a thing. It's so good. Me too. Me too. Right? It's the best. It's cool. so good. Well, now let's jump right into it. So 
Let's talk about this whole thing of self-trust. Um, I yeah. know you just recently rebranded your podcast. So if you want to talk yeah. about that, we'll definitely at the end of this conversation and of course in the show notes, have you plug all of it so people can stay connected with you because I'm sure they'll be very intrigued to learn more after listening to this episode. So let's kind of walk through that journey for us. Like mm. kind of yeah. give me some of the highlights. I know you've had so many different transitions in your life and a lot of very formative moments. Uh, but kind of in the last few years, like what were the really big ones for you? Yeah. Yeah. Such a good question. So I, yeah, I have a podcast that's called, you can trust yourself. A lot of my work in coaching revolves around this idea of getting tethered to our deep intuition, right? So really operating from that place of deep knowing and deep self-trust. And what I've found uh, is that a lot of times we have a, a deep struggle with trusting ourselves. We have from day one been taught to look outside of ourselves for wisdom, right? We're also very mind-oriented creatures. So we think that logic is our best way to come to a solution, to come to an answer. And I am someone who all of my life, I lived out of my mind. I lived um, rather in my mind. I was always a, a mind person. And I also lived very disconnected from my body. And I also really didn't trust myself. And it was something, it's something that I know now, and I didn't necessarily know then. I didn't have the language for, oh, I didn't trust sure. myself. But the ramifications of that were that I kept ending up in uh, dysfunctional relationships. I ended up in a dysfunctional relationship with my body. And when I look back, it really came back to this place of, I didn't know how to trust me, to trust my deep intuition, to trust my deep knowing. So a huge part of my journey really was learning how to trust myself. And I tell this story of, uh, in 2019, I went to Onsite, which is a trauma recovery program outside of Nashville. It's incredible. And there was an experience that I had there. You do a lot of group therapy and it's um, it's drama therapy. So you're acting out actually uh, scenes from your past and scenes from your story. And it's incredibly powerful and transformational. And in one of my pieces of work, one of my pieces of therapy, I went through an experience where I unpacked why I didn't trust myself as a kid and why it had traveled into adulthood. And, and I was recognizing in 2019, I'm really not trusting myself in the decisions that I'm making. And I want to, right? Like I really want to operate from this place of self-trust. I want to trust myself in the relationships I'm choosing. I want to trust myself in the work that I'm choosing. I want to trust myself with my body and with my, uh, my relationship with food. And so I had this uh, healing experience at onsite where I really began to take back my sense of self-trust. I, I began to take back my power when it came to trusting myself. And we can get into this. There's so many reasons we don't trust ourselves, right? Culturally, if we think about diet culture, diet culture is a great example that tells us you don't know how to feed yourself. Someone else knows how to feed you. So lean on someone else's insight and wisdom uh, for your own body, right? Like you don't know how to nourish yourself. Somebody else does. So from day one, diet culture tells us don't trust ourselves. As women, we are bombarded with cultural messages to not trust ourselves. And so there's so many reasons we don't, but I came to this, this kind of head point in 2019, where I said, I want to take that back. I want to take back my sense of self-trust. I want to be so anchored in my deep knowing that I'm not phased by rejection or someone else's opinion, or I don't get derailed by the no from, you know, from outside of me. Mm -hmm. And I want to be someone who is operating from that core deep uh, place of self-trust. So uh, after that experience at Onsite, I began to take back that power. And really now what I do with women is, is help us get re-anchored, re-tethered to that deep inner knowing inside of us. I'm someone who really believes that 
you have all of the wisdom that you need inside of you. You have everything you could possibly need. And a lot of times we just need a guide or help seeing that, right? We need someone to point us back to what's already there, what's already inside of us. So that's kind of my, my love of self-trust and kind of a little bit of my story and journey on how I got there. Um, and and there, there's so much more in there, but really at the core of it, uh, it comes back to this place of how do we operate from a place of, of deep self-trust so that we can choose and build the life that we dream of. That's so cool. And I'm so glad you brought up the diet culture example, because having listened to that, I was going to ask you about it because it's really interesting to hear your perspective on it. Because as a nutrition coach myself, um, I, I had somebody else on my podcast recently, and he was also a nutrition coach. And we started talking about this whole idea that we never actually learn how to eat. And so it's very mm -hmm. interesting to hear you use that same verbiage of learn, because yeah. if you think about it, from the minute that you're a little kid, people start putting food in front of you. And this is where yeah. I think things get a little bit complicated is when you're at that age of like four or five, maybe even a little younger, like three years old, kind of rebellious. And mm -hmm. you don't want to finish your vegetables, but you really want dessert. So it becomes this like rule of like, well, you have to finish your plate to yeah. get this other thing that you want. And that language is super dangerous because you're mm -hmm. immediately telling a small child to ignore their hunger cues. And yeah. creating this rule of like, oh, well, your plate has to be clean, like clean yeah. plate club. Like we can joke about that now as adults, but that kind of got instilled very early on. And Absolutely. so I almost feel like in what you just said, it totally makes sense in the sense that like we don't even learn how to trust like knowing like, OK, like I don't want to eat this thing or like, oh, mm -hmm. this is in front of me. So I'm just going to go ahead and eat this. And like mm -hmm. and, and it's not that obviously there's reasons for purposes of safety that as a little kid like that is not completely up to you to just choose mm -hmm. whatever it is that you want yeah. to eat right like we're just it's designed that way for a reason but have you ever thought about about it from that perspective because I'd love to know yes. from your experiences not only somebody who's dealt with eating disorders but also because I know how much you love food and you're an amazing cook like I think the whole reason that I found you in the first place was obviously through our mutual friend Chase but yeah. it was because he posted one of your incredible looking charcuterie boards on his Instagram <laughs> stories and I was like oh my gosh I need to follow this person I love that Chase is the king of, of my cheese boards yeah. I feel like if I make a cheese board I trust that it will be eaten if Chase is around which is the greatest <laughs> um Yes, I do love food. I, I, I love this conversation. I think that what you referenced is that from a young age, we are filled with shoulds, right? You should eat this. You should not, you should not eat that. You should have that. You should not eat this. You should finish your plate. And there's a lot of should language around food. And so we're not really taught to trust, like you said, the hunger cues of the body. Um, and I think that, I think that's changing. Uh, I think that, that might have been more of our parents' generation totally. coming out of that they came out of more of the clients I work with now today like it's it's really interesting they'll even come to me and say like their mid-30s have two small children maybe one small child and and they're saying to me like we want our kids to eat exactly what we're eating and we want them to learn to enjoy healthy foods but we also want them to know that like if that's not something they like, like we just take one bite. And if you don't like it, at least you tried it. And that's it. Yeah. Yeah. And that kind of permission for a child is so empowering, right? To say, let's at least try this. Let's give this a go. And if it doesn't work for you or for your body, 
I think they're, I think we're moving more towards a bio individual perspective mm-hmm. with kids and with people in general and starting to recognize that. But us growing up in the generation we did with the clean plate club, there was this language of, well, just do it, just finish your food. Right. And it, it was really damaging and it, and it carries into adulthood in so many different facets. It carries into food, but it carries into other things where we end up in at jobs that we really hate, but we think, oh, I should just stay because the money's good. Or we end up in relationships that we're not satisfied in, but we think, oh, I don't know if I'm ever going to get something else. So I might as well stay. So it can kind of carry into all these other areas of life. And I love starting with food because it's just a basic fundamental elemental yeah. uh, experience of the, of the human. Right. And, and we can, we can look at how we do this one thing and then realize that how we do one thing carries into how we do everything else. So if we can't trust ourselves with food and body, how are we trusting ourselves with bigger decisions, right? Like bigger decisions of work, bigger decisions of relationships. I always tell people when I was, um, when I was in my twenties and even in, into my early thirties, when I would date somebody, I would immediately call seven of my girlfriends and be like, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Because I didn't trust myself enough to radar this person. And granted, I think it's so important to have community and insight from your friends and family on the person you choose. But when that usurps or takes over uh, your core knowing about something, um, it's destructive because because you're not operating from what's actually true to you. And I think so much of our journey as humans is, is to come back to what is true for me, right? Like what is actually true for me? What what, when I eat sweet potatoes, do I feel really nourished? When I eat Chick-fil-A every day, do I feel really nourished? Really learning how to listen to me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's the biggest piece is, are we tuning our ears to truly listen to ourselves and truly listen to the wisdom of our bodies, the wisdom of our intuition? I was on Instagram probably three months ago and this girl, uh, she went on a rampage on her stories about how listening to the body is bullshit and how it's just like, such a, a a crux for eating whatever you want to eat and binging on Chick-fil-A every day. And I sat there and I was, I was like, this is not listening to the body, but I think this is the misconception, right? This is the misconception that if I trust myself with food, I'm just going to go binge on ice cream all night long. Right. The reality is when we start to listen to the body, the body communicates back. So if I binge on ice cream all night long, I'm going to feel terrible. And my body is going to slow down, feel sluggish, feel gross. That's my body's way of communicating. This isn't working for us. This isn't actually what makes me feel nourished. So part of the relationship of, of self-trust is this idea that we have to learn to listen to ourselves again. We have to retune ourselves into, does that make me feel full? Do I feel nourished when I have that? Do I feel good when I move my body that way? Do I feel satisfied in this relationship? Do I feel like I want to, uh, to leave this job and pursue something else and really tap into the wisdom that is so, like we said, so deeply already inside of us? Do you think that people are afraid to do that work of looking at themselves and really trying to learn that? Because 100%. in that same conversation I had, one of the things that both this coach and I felt was that a lot of the time in even just collecting that biofeedback and getting more granular about it. Like for example, 
being able to write down and say X food caused like this digestion issue versus just saying like, oh, how's my digestion? It's good. Well, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. That's super relative. And the people who can get Mm -hmm. that granular are usually the ones who have better results long term and can find that food freedom that the person you're referencing like thinks is BS. And I totally Mm -hmm. understand like how people can have that fear of saying like, oh, well, intuitive eating like that, that's not possible because here's my perspective on it. The way that I've learned about it has always come from usually a dietitian or a nutritionist. And I think this is just like a shift recently in that space yeah. in particular, who spent years using another method that led them to disordered eating. So mm-hmm. then they chose the intuitive route. And I think the disconnect that a lot of other coaches maybe in my world who promote macronutrients as a tool and and those other types of things is that the people who move into intuitive eating spent some time learning how to eat but they're not sharing that part of their journey with you they're kind of skipping that and just being like oh well I had this issue and so that's how I found intuitive eating it's like well wait a second what did you learn from Mm -hmm. having that issue because maybe Mm -hmm. that issue forced you to look inside of yourself if you were afraid to do it so I know I kind of jumped ahead away from my question (laughs) but I'd love to know your reaction to that statement of are people afraid to really just look internally and do the work that's needed to get to that place that we all really want to be it's so good yes and this is why it's a journey right this is why it's a journey of learning to trust yourself we, we don't just jump into self-trust. Yeah. Um, I love what you referenced is that uh, things like using macronutrients, hiring a nutritionist, working with someone who knows more than you do. The reason that's so powerful is because you're right. It is a tool. It is a tool to learn or to unlearn, right? Mm-hmm. Learn or unlearn yeah. patterns and behaviors that you've developed around food uh, that you didn't even know you developed. So I think what you're referencing about the intuitive eating movement is so accurate is that most of the time, uh, people who now have swung into this intuitive eating world already have some prerequisite of understanding uh, a relationship with food, right? Or maybe from day one, they are just so lucky and they learned from their parents and and their environment, how to intuitive eat, right? I've seen both. Um, But I think there is a a learning that has to happen about really understanding how does my body work? How does, I I meet people, I'm sure you do too, because you work with women all the time and and men too, who probably know nothing about food, right? Literally don't know what a carb is versus protein. Um, And so having that knowledge, having those tools is so empowering for stepping back into self-trust. Um, when it takes the place of self-trust, that's where it gets a little messy, right? Where I have to lean on a certain diet or I have to lean on a certain macro count um, to survive. Then it gets a little messy because because the goal really is to move back to this place of, I just, my, my body knows the macros I need, right? Mm-hmm. But maybe I need to train it. Maybe I need to relearn how to how to eat in that way so that when I feel it, then I can move into the intuitive piece around it. Does that make sense? Totally. I, I yeah. absolutely love that. And I completely but to, agree. But to answer the question of are people afraid? Absolutely. It's terrifying to trust yourself. Mm-hmm. It's so terrifying because it's much easier to lean on somebody else. It's much easier to say like, uh, well, I'm, I'm just going to lean on their expert opinion or their expert knowing because I don't know. Right. It's a, it's a, a bypassing of sorts. Sure. And it really uh, requires ownership of our lives if we want to take back this sense of trusting ourselves. 
And so, you know, you referenced this point in 2019 where you felt like it was a, a big turning point for you, but yeah. you also made some references to career changes, relationships, and that sort of thing. And I know from talking to you in the past that a lot of that evolved for you before 2019. So yeah. I know you now have the ability to look back and, and use your hindsight and maybe now realize that this was a self-trust issue, but before knowing that, and like mm. you said, you didn't have the language for it up until maybe just over two years ago. What yeah. do you think was driving you to kind of realize like you needed to make a change in your career or you needed to make some changes with your spirituality, your personal life, whatever it was, because mm -hmm. you did yeah. those things. Yeah. You know, I think um, I think you're so right. In hindsight, it's so easy to see what was going on for us and to see our stories. In 2018, um, I'll share a little bit of this story in 20. Uh, end of 2017, kind of blew up my life a little bit and decided to leave LA and sell everything and move to England for six months. And I was on the quest for an adventure and spontaneity. And I had been in LA for almost seven years and was just looking for a change. And I was single at the time and kind of bitter about being single and was really wrestling with my singleness. And I had this undercurrent uh, feeling that something was just off. Right. So I kind of went to England to figure it out. I, I went to England thinking like, oh, I'm just going to take a break from my life and, and do a re-evaluation okay. of, of, of what I want and what I'm doing. And, um, and this, this opportunity opened up for me to move there for a few months and live with a family. And while I was there, I expected adventure, spontaneity, excitement. I got slowness, loneliness, uh, stillness. And when that happens, right, like whenever we're confronted with slowness or stillness, all of the stuff that we haven't dealt with surfaces to the top. So if we look even collectively at this past year, for a lot of people, uh, 2020 caused slowness in some ways, right? And things surfaced. And that just happens anytime we, we create or, or are thrown into some kind of slowness. The stuff that is, uh, is not dealt with will will rise to the surface. So for me in 2018, when I was expecting this like glamorous, glorious adventure in England, <laughs> I was uh, confronted with a lot of my internal stuff that I just had, had not dealt with. And I had been in therapy for all of my twenties. I have done a ton of self-work. I had thought that I had dealt with a lot of these things, but what came up was really messy. And my body started responding. I started having panic attacks that I hadn't had since I was in my early twenties. I had a series of panic attacks. And after the fourth one, um, I was laying on the floor. And if you've had a panic attack before, they're the most terrible thing. You think you're dying. The world is ending. And I was lying on my floor and I had held on to my phone. I had a girlfriend on the, on the call and I said, please don't hang up. And finally, as I was coming out of the panic attack, I said, okay, I think you can hang up now. And so she hangs up the phone and I'm laying there and I heard this audible voice and the voice said, be kind to yourself. And it was so simple, but I laid there and I was like, be kind to myself, be kind to myself. And what I started to realize is that for 30 years of my life, uh, I had been living in a really dysfunctional relationship with me. I had been living in a really unkind, ungentle, unloving relationship towards me. And I thought that was normal. In fact, I think it was, it was almost uh, reinforced as norm normal, right? To be unkind to myself. And what I started to work through in that moment was this idea that 
when I'm having a hard time, when I'm having the meltdown or the breakdown, or I'm struggling, or I'm disliking myself, my tendency is to be really mean to me. My tendency is to want to beat myself up, push myself harder, uh, tell myself I'm doing a terrible job. If you, Krista, were laying on my floor having a panic attack, I would be so gentle with you, yeah, right? You like I say would, those things. Yeah, I would be so kind. I would be so loving. I would do anything to make sure that you felt better. But in our relationship with ourselves, that's so often not the case. And in my relationship with me, that was absolutely not the case. So in that moment, what happened for me was really this turnaround moment where I had spent so many years of my life walking away from myself and uh, not choosing myself. And in that moment of be kind to yourself, I really, I, I flipped, I turned around and I said, I'm going to begin this journey back home. I'm going to begin this journey back home to my body, um, back home to myself. And in that journey, um, what I learned along the way is that self-love as cheesy as it sounds, self-love and self-compassion always wins, right? I talk a lot about in my group program, I talk about a lot about this idea of self-sabotage. And um, I think it's Mastin Kip who says, there's no such thing as self-sabotage. There's only self-protection. So anytime we find a behavior pattern in our lives where we were tempted to call it self-sabotage, whether it's procrastination or any, anything, any kind of behavior pattern that feels self-sabotaging, really what it is, is the body's way of keeping itself safe, right? Mm -hmm. It's the body's way of saying, oh my gosh, if you actually step out into this, or if you do this, you might face rejection or you might face this thing. And so it's the body's way of really trying to coddle us and protect us. But, but the, the tendency and the temptation is to look at those behaviors and beat ourselves up about them, right? Like, oh, why, why don't you get it together, Carol? What's wrong with you? And so when I began that journey back home towards myself, really choosing to be kind to myself, my whole life changed. My, my entire perspective on what I wanted to do in the world shifted, the, the way I related to men changed dramatically because again, I was changing the way I was rela relating to myself and how we relate to ourselves, how we do relationship with self. It will be a direct uh, correlation with how we do relationship with other people. So my friendships changed, my, my dating relationships changed. And because I started liking myself and I started actually really falling in love with me, I started attracting things into my life that mirrored that back. So I started attracting work that I loved. I started attracting now my husband, right? Because I started to get really connected to what it looked like to be in love with my own life. And it, it shifted everything for me. It shifted the very way that I operate in the world from this little statement of be kind to yourself. But again, that, it, that began the journey of really coming back home and healing, healing my relationship with me, healing my relationship with self so that I could attract in all these things that mirrored that back. How did you first cultivate a lot of that healing? You know, take us from the statement that you heard mm. and saying, be kind to yourself. How did that then show up? Like from, from yeah. really like kind of elementary foundational steps. Cause I mm -hmm. think people can hear these stories and they're like, oh, I'd really love to achieve that. Yeah. But then they might read like, oh, is it a matter of looking at myself in the mirror every day and saying positive affirmations? Oh, that mm. feels cheesy to me. Like if that's inaccessible for somebody that's listening, tell us yeah. about some of the things that worked for you. And I'm sure are you continue to do because as we've said, like this is an ongoing journey. Yeah. You know what I think about when you ask that question is when you, when you turn a light on 
when the light comes on, you start to see everything, right? You start to see everything differently. And so I think for me, that moment really was a light bulb moment where I started to, I, I started to see, I started to see interactions that I was having. I started to see the ways that I was speaking to myself. <clears throat> I started to see the ways that I was uh, operating around food and, and just see them like with clear eyes and think, oh, is this the way that I want to operate in the world? I also think that I got, it's kind of like when you first discover, you know, when somebody first discovers like how to manifest, you're like, I want to manifest everything. I'm going to, I'm trying, I'll do everything. You'll do all the manifestation <laughs> tricks, right? You'll literally try them all. And that I kind of got like that towards myself. Like, how can I be kind to myself everywhere? Even if, even if it felt really unnatural. So, so things like speaking into the mirror and telling myself I was beautiful. I did that all the time. And it, changed my brain, right? Because I was actually using my words to change the way I thought about myself. And I felt crazy. I was looking in the mirror being like, you're pretty, you're cool, you're beautiful. And I sounded like a nut job, but it but works. your thoughts right? are real. So that's why it worked. Yeah. And I think too, piggybacking on that, I became very intentional about capturing every single thought that ran through my mind. So this is a practice I do a lot with, with clients is, is thought work. We capture thoughts, right? We spend all day, every day having thought loops that we think are totally normal and we don't question them. And a lot of times these thought loops are the things that are creating our reality that we're hating, right? So the, the problem isn't uh, when we talk about the body, for example, the problem isn't your body. The problem is the relationship and the mindset that you have around your body or the judgment you have around your body. So you, the, the goal isn't necessarily to change the body. The goal is to change the thinking about the body, right? So with me, I just started to capture any thought that I could be like, do I actually think this is real? Do I actually think this is a helpful thought? Um, are you familiar with Byron Katie? Mm -mm. No, she has, uh, Byron Katie is amazing. She has something called the work. Um, she has a book called loving what is, and okay. she talks a lot about this idea of thought work or capturing our thoughts. She calls it simply the work. And it's a series of four questions that you pose to any thought or thought loop that, uh, is destructive for you. So the first question is, is it true? So you ask the question, is it true? The second question, can I know that it, that it's absolutely true. Can I know that this, this thought loop, this thought is absolutely true. The third question is how do I feel when I believe it? And then the fourth question is who would I become if I believed the truth or the opposite, right? So we take this into uh, an actual, let's play it out in an, an example. We take it into our relationship with our body. Um, and let's just say I have the thought loop of my body's, uh, my body's ugly, right? Like my body's not something that I like. So is it true? Yeah, it's true. I feel like it's true. I don't like my, I don't like myself. I don't like my body. Can I know that it's absolutely true? Mm, well, if I actually pose a, you know, if I pose a flashlight up to this, what I'll recognize is that so many different body types are beautiful. So many different bodies, um, are beautiful just because of, of being a body, right? The human body is phenomenal. It's fascinating. It's incredible. So can I know that it's absolutely true? Probably not. Uh, how do I feel when I believe it? How do I feel when I don't like my body? I feel terrible. I feel horrible. I don't want to go out in public. I shame myself. I, I, I don't like who I am. 
who would I be if I believed differently? Who would I be if I believed the opposite or, or the truth? Well, I would be confident and I would be uh, comfortable in my skin and I would be free, right? So we play out this, this thought yeah. work around any thought that comes into our mind that is causing pain because these thought loops are the things that are causing pain. It's not the body that's causing pain. It's the thought loop about the body that's causing pain. So I started to do a lot of that, (laughs) like aggressively capture my thoughts, aggressively pose a question mark to any thought that was causing me pain and suffering. And, uh, and my brain started to change. My thinking started to change. And when I started to change the way I thought the external world around me started to change too, right? Because if we start thinking differently about ourselves, then we choose differently for ourselves. It's the same way. If I really, really love um, love how I feel when I eat well, and I really am liking my body. I'm much more prone to treat it well. I'm much more prone to eat well and to move well and to exercise and do all these things. If I'm sitting in a place of self-hatred, what I want to do is binge on Doritos on the couch, right? So it's the way I'm thinking that moves me into the behavior. And so I started to really see that in my own life. And I spent a, a solid year changing the way that I thought changing the way that I, um, had been thinking. And I, you know, I, I worked with a coach doing that. I, I intentionally, uh, was in friendships where they were holding up mirrors to the way I was thinking. I was very honest with myself. That's another piece that, that I think is really crucial when we talk about, um, learning how to trust ourselves is we've got to be blatantly honest with ourselves. We're not going to trust something if we're not honest with it. So we have to we have to come into this place of radical self-honesty in order to move into this thought work that leads us into self-trust. Long-winded Let's, answer for you. No, that was great. <laughs> Let's jump into the friendships one because I did yeah. listen to the podcast that you guys did with you and Caleb and May and Chase did recently and I yeah. loved it and it was such oh, a good. cool conversation and you know, you talked a lot about friendships and like finding those meaningful friendships and, and being able to cut them off if they're not for you based on like where you are in your life and changes and whatever experiences you're going through. So describe to us like what those honest relationships looked like in terms of like, what did that actually look like for other people holding up a mirror for you? And, and being honest, were you talking to them about this journey you were going through so that you Mm. could facilitate those kinds of conversations? Yeah. Such a great question. I was very honest with myself. And then I was very particular with who I felt uh, safe enough to share my story with, because in the midst of of that year, there was a lot of messy healing that needed to take place. I had spent a lot of years in disordered eating and eating disorders. And that's not stuff you just share with everybody and anybody no. because it's, it's stuff that is really sacred and needs to be Personal. unpacked. Yeah. And unpacked in a safe space. And so I chose, um, I, I, I kind of knew who my inner circle was at that time. I really knew, okay, I can trust these three people with this part of my story and I can trust them not only to hold space for me, but also to be a mirror. And to not impose, this is a huge one for me, to not impose their opinions and their needs on top of my story, right? So this is this is the best uh, 
kind of coaching or therapy that's really ever going to happen is people that can just hold space for you. Because again, if we go back to this idea that you, Krista, embody all of the wisdom that you would ever need. If I come in with a steamroller of advice for you, I am actually taking away from what's inside of you. And I'm, I'm usurping that. So I was very selective with, with the people that I was willing to share kind of this deep, messy work with. Um, but I did share it and I, I did find those people. And I think that's the crucial piece is finding those friendships, finding those soul connections where you do feel safe enough to say, this is who I am. This is what I'm working through. Do you have capacity, capacity for me to process this with you and to actually share? And, and, and will you mirror back to me, you know, asking those questions, will you mirror back to me? Um, if I'm not seeing it, seeing something right. And so finding those people. And it's, I think it's hard. I think this is one of the journeys of adulthood that feels really hard is finding these relationships where one, you maintain autonomy and you don't become codependent and two, you, uh, you feel safe enough to really hold space for one another. And, and, and I had to, there were some friendships where I had to get very, um, I had to emotionally remove myself a little bit because they weren't safe. They weren't, especially in that healing year, they were not safe friendships that I could do, you know, do the work that I needed to do. So I needed to take a little step back and even that can feel weird, right? Like how do we navigate stepping out of friendship when it's, it's not healthy for us anymore. So uh, to, to answer your question, yeah, I, I really think that the the friendship piece was huge for me. And I learned so much in that season of really, um, really learning what it means to, uh, to tell my story to safe people. And now I want to move into the romantic relationships piece too. At this point, had you met Caleb yet or did you, and, and even just kind of share with us, you had mentioned in walking through the story of what happened to you when you were in Europe, um, saying that like you started to show up differently in your romantic relationship. So what did that look like? And then you can fast forward into the last like two years. Mm -hmm. So one of the narratives that came out of England for me, um, one of the narratives that I had to unpack and reframe was uh, the idea that something was wrong with me because I was still single. I was 33 and single. And so I had this deep uh, seated narrative that something was wrong with me or I had missed it or I had messed it up. And I think those are standard questions that we yeah. ask when we're single and we don't want to be single. Um, those are things that just come up. And, and I had to really rework this narrative that there was nothing wrong with me, that life is this beautiful uh array of timing and that things come at exactly the right time. They do. People would say that to me all the time. And I would get so annoyed when I was single, they'd be like, you'll meet him at the exact right time. And I would get so mad, but yeah, now I I'm totally like, oh, yeah. that. <laughs> absolutely true. Um, so I, I did a lot of, I did a lot of internal work before meeting Caleb and I, uh, you know, I had to surrender a lot of expectations of what I thought my life would look like. I was the girl who thought I'd be married by 25 at the latest. I thought 25 was late and I met him uh, going on 35. And so, um, so those, those 10 years of singleness, they were a lot of wrestling, a lot of surrendering, a lot of healing, a, with a lot of shoulds, right? To with go all, all the, the shoulds, yeah. mm-hmm. with all the shoulds. And the best part about it, about it is that that entire journey is the only reason that he is my partner, right? Like all of that work really prepared me to do partnership with him. So we met, um, at a time where I it's, you know, when people say like, you'll meet him when you least expect it, or like, once you surrender, then he'll come into the picture. 
I, I have a love hate with those statements because there is truth in them. And then they're also not very helpful when you're in it, (laughs) but I had no expectation to meet, meet a person when I met him. Um, I'll tell the story really quickly, but before I do, we met in Kentucky and the night before we met, I was on a back porch in Nashville. I had flown into Nashville and I was sitting and drinking wine with a girlfriend and because I had been doing so much work and because I was, you know, uh, in this place of healing that I was in, I, I said to her, I said, I feel so connected to my life. I feel so connected to my life. I don't want to be anywhere else. I don't want to be anywhere before this time. I don't want to be anywhere out of that time. And it was a very profound moment for me because most of my life I had lived outside of the present moment. I had wanted to be 10 steps ahead or I had wanted to go back and fix the past. And to have that deep experience of presence, this is, this is it. I'm so connected to this moment and this is all that matters was wild for me. And the next day I met Caleb in Kentucky on a farm. We met, um, we, we were invited. There was 12 writers across the country who were invited to a writing retreat in, in this tiny little town in Kentucky called Stanford. And so 12 writers were brought out from across the country along with four writing coaches. And we spent these four days working on our manuscripts and writing. And it's a, it's a very idyllic, like part of Kentucky and there's fireflies and it's, you know, it's just beautiful. Um, but we met that first night and uh, my soul knew he was different. I, it was a very instantaneous knowing that he was, he was someone special. And so we kind of connected that first night. And then over the next three days, we joked that we fell in love in three days because it was just, it was magical. I, I, I had this experience of, oh, there you are, this deep knowing there you are. And I, I tell that story with the caveat that that could not have happened six months prior. It could not have happened a year prior. There was this beautiful combustion of our lives and the universe aligning for us to meet in that moment to be able to say, oh, there you are. There's my soul's match. And so we fell in love in three days and then we got back to LA and we were like, oh, now we have to date. <laughs> so um, we, we had a very fast tracked relationship again, because I think we had both done so much individual work to get to this place of, of deep knowing and deep uh, rest when we met each other. When I met Caleb for about two weeks, I um, kind of referencing what I said earlier, I I kind of kept it quiet. I didn't, I didn't call all the girlfriends and get all their opinions. I didn't need it because I just knew in my deep, deep knowing, I was like, this is my person. And I don't need the outside validation to tell me if, or if it is or isn't right. So, um, so for those first two weeks, I kind of was just in this bliss mode of falling in love. And I shared it with a couple people, more of those safe people that I referenced earlier. Um, but it was a, it's one of my, it's one of my favorite wild adventures of life is falling in love with him because it was so unexpected. And also there was so much work that led up to the process of meeting him that now, whenever someone, you know, whenever a girl comes to work with me around being single, we get to do the deep inner work because that's the dating work. When we talk about dating, really all of the work is internal. Am I, am I operating from a place of deep self-love and self-trust enough that that's the kind of partnership that I'm attracting in, right? Because the, the, the kind of partnership that I'm having with myself mirrors the kind of a par- partnership that I'm attracting in. And so because I did the work I did, I invited in a partner who is the best human in the world. He's my, <laughs> he's my absolute favorite human. Uh, but that's, yeah, that's a little bit of our love story. 
And you having referenced that both of you guys had done a lot of work to get to the point where you did actually meet. How does that now show up in your relationship today? Right? Because I think I talk about this with girlfriends a lot, like especially, you know, people who maybe they had this serious relationship like I had and then completely stepped away from it or it's they ne- they have yet to find that person because they're really focused on something else in their life and they're okay with that, like their career. Yeah. But then they get to the point, like you were describing, where they start to see that everyone else around them is married, mm. having a kid, like at that age where you're scrolling Instagram and it's like this person got engaged, this person got engaged. And then you're like, yeah. you start telling yourself that narrative that you described of like, well, something mm-hmm. must be wrong with me. And I was talking to a friend about this. And the one thing that we were both saying that we wish we could just like identify from a dating app that doesn't exist is a person who also prioritizes self-development to the extent that you do. And it's like, how do you weed that person out even from like a first date without getting into like some really maybe seemingly weirdly deep questions right out of the gate? So to fast forward to your life today, like what does that look like for the two of you guys? Yeah. Well, really quickly before I answer your question, I love this question. Um, to, to piggyback on something you said, I think that as women, and I, I say to women, cause I mostly work with women, but I think yeah. this applies to men too. Um, when we have that deep longing for something, when we have this deep longing for partnership, for soul connection, for a conscious, healthy relationship, if that desire is there, it is absolutely for you. That is my core belief. It is, if it is in your soul desire, that is your soul's way of showing you a map towards something, right? I, I tell people that when I was in my late twenties, I have this vivid memory of missing my person, having this experience of like, oh, I miss my person. I haven't even met him yet, but I miss him. And, and I, it was my soul's way of communicating to me that something was possible. Right. And so I always want to affirm in in people when we have that deep soul desire, if that soul dream is there, it's absolutely for you. How and when it comes is probably out of your control, but I think the work is to really lean into it as opposed to coming up with the, the mind narratives of why don't I have it yet? Right. Because that's the mind game of like, Oh, why don't I have a, a partner yet. Well, maybe something's wrong with me. Maybe I missed it. Maybe I messed it up. And then we get stuck in these thought loops that we talked sure. about are so destructive and not helpful. But when we can lean into the soul knowing of, oh, I know that's possible for me. What does it look like for me to lean into it more, to feel it more, to imagine it more, to visualize it more, to, to do the work, to, to clear out anything that's keeping me stuck from attracting that in. Right. I think that is, that is so much more powerful than getting stuck in these thought loops of I messed it up or I missed it. Right. Those things aren't helpful. Um, to, to answer your question, how does this kind of work show up for Caleb and I, we are both, uh, I was actually talking about this on a podcast yesterday. We are both committed to personal growth for the rest of our lives. I, one of the things I love about him the most is that I know (laughs) that he will be a different version of himself next year. And then in five years and then in 10 years, because he is so committed to understanding himself, to doing the work, to, to know himself more, to, to doing the work, to grow and evolve. And I'm committed to that too. And so it shows up for us uh, both individually where we are, we're committed to do our, doing our individual work. 
for me, that looks like um, having a morning practice every morning, right? Doing my meditation. It, it looks like moving my body and, and allowing movement to actually be a part of my routine. It looks like, uh, you know, doing the work of questioning narratives that are keeping us stuck of building together. You know, we're, we're newly married. We're, we just moved to Nashville. We're building a life for the first time together. And so it shows up in various ways, but I think that when you're talking about uh, dating and, and kind of weeding out people who are in this place of, of self-evolution and self-growth, um, I think you can, I, I think you can start to intuit it with someone, right? Like I, I can have this conversation with you. And even though you and I don't uh, spend a ton of time together, I know that Krista is committed to conscious growth and evolution just by a conversation. Sure. So on a first date and, and even in dating apps, I think it's totally okay to, to dig and ask questions that kind of allude to that. You don't have to be like, are you a conscious evolution human that, you know, <laughs> like it doesn't have to be that blatant, right. but you can ask the questions and, and that's what dating is. It's, it's a, it's a way to figure out, do your souls work? At, can they work in some form of partnership together to grow and evolve and, and build life together? Um, and so I think really looking for that, if that's something you desire, if it's something that's important to you and a priority, I think really recognizing, okay, that is such a priority to me that if someone is not that, I'm immediately going to say no, because that is, that is a practice of clarity. If it's not a hell yes, then no, then absolutely no for now. Right. And, and given so, what you said about like your past and, and being in relationships that weren't working for you hmm. before you kind of went through this this realization of being kinder to yourself were you yeah. a little bit hesitant to like walk away from something the minute that you oh figured my. out like that it wasn't for you you tried to make oh it my work, gosh right? oh my gosh I'm gonna use a food analogy for this one I tell yeah. people I had yogurt land complex so what that means do you guys have yogurt land where you are no but I'm assuming it's like a frozen yogurt where you can the frozen like put yogurt your top, shop. toppings on yeah. right like you, yeah there's like yeah. 10 flavors and yeah. then all the top mm -hmm. things and you walk in yogurt land is notorious because they give you sample cups every time you walk in okay so they'll hand you a little stack of sample cups so you can try all of the flavors right I say that I had yogurt land complex because I was a yogurt land connoisseur I would go all the time and I always got the same order. I always got cookies and cream and cheesecake with like cheesecake bites and graham crackers and a little whipped cream. Good. Every once, right, it sounds so good. Every once in a while, I throw on something else. But for for uh, most most days, it was exactly the, the same, right? I knew what I wanted. But when I walked into Yogurtland, no matter what, I would get the sample cups and I would try every single flavor thinking, what if today is the day I change my mind? Or like, what if, oh my gosh, what if I missed out on this epic new flavor? There's nothing wrong with samples. I love them. I think they're a genius idea. But the problem for me <laughs> is that I would fill up so much on the samples that by the time I actually got to my cup of frozen yogurt, I didn't even enjoy it that much because I was already full of samples. Yeah. So I referenced that because with men, oh my gosh, I would date anybody and everybody and, and play out the game of like, well, what if, what if he is really amazing? Or what if he could be the one? Or what if he could actually be, you know, more conscious or more evolved? Or maybe he maybe he'll choose me. Like maybe he'll choose me. I kept ending up in all these relationships where men weren't fully choosing me back. And again, we in hindsight can say it's because I wasn't choosing myself and we can see that mirror. But I think that it is so easy to play the game of, oh, well, especially as women, because we, we have such strong intuition and, and eyes to see possibility that when we look at men, 
or, or any person that we want to partner with, we can see, uh, oh my gosh, they could become that, right? Like, oh, he could become, she could become, they could become whatever it is that they might become. The, the problem is that that is a <laughs> destructive way of dating, right? It's not an actual healthy way of dating because the universe loves clarity. It loves when we know what we want and when we say no to the things that aren't in alignment for that. And so some of my work in dating really was to uh, get into alignment. Two, two weeks before I dated Caleb, I went on a date with this guy. And previous to all of my inner work, I would have kept going on dates with him because he was nice on paper. He looked really good. My friends liked him, but I just internally was like, he's not it. And I made this, yeah, yeah, I made this clear decision. That is not it. I can feel, I trust myself enough to know that that is not it. So the sooner I say no to the no, the sooner my yes comes into the picture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's such a great way of putting it. Like, and, and I think what we tend to forget too, cause we're like, we want to make it work, but then we forget about the other possibilities and what's for you being, Mm -hmm. being out there. Right. Mm -hmm. And again, it goes back to those shoulds. Like it goes back to this timeline that you had set in your head of like how things should be, what you should do. Uh, and, and it's really hard to break away from that. And, um, I have had conversations with other podcast guests and talking about us not seeing ourselves as broken. We're just conditioned. So Mm -hmm. we have these sets of rules that were put onto us by society and then we continue to perpetuate them because they keep showing up in other people's lives and our own life. And you start to tell yourself these stories that that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's such a good line. We're not broken, we're conditioned. And I think that's where we get to be really gentle and have self-compassion in these areas that we historically might have called self-sabotage or destruction. Because really, if we can reframe and understand that we're always trying to protect ourselves and we're always trying to, in some way, keep ourselves safe, then we can unpack those those things with with gentleness and compassion. So you referenced some of the, you know, like kind of breaking out our thoughts and and picking them apart and just catching them as they're happening as one of the tools and methods that you use with a lot of people that you work with in helping them do this work, what are some of the other kind of best practices that you either have found in your own life or through research that other women you've worked with and continue to work with have found a lot of success in? Yeah. Uh, one of the, one of the biggest things I work on with women is, um, embodiment, what it looks like to be embodied. And that word is it's, it's having a little, um, moment right now, right? It's, there's a, it's becoming a little bit of a buzzword, but for me, what it means to be embodied is bodied is to be in alignment to be in alignment with my body, my mind, my soul, and to see all of those things as a a massive part of my whole being. And many of us live uh, not embodied, right? We live in our minds, kind of what we talked about. We we prioritize the the wisdom of the mind and we live um, overworked, overwhelmed, overstressed, uh, underrested. And so part of, part of the work that I do is to really empower people back into this place of embodiment and to, um, to get back into the body. I use this language of coming back home to the body or getting Mm -hmm. back into the body. And I use it because I lived uh, outside of my body for a long time. Right. And, and so when we come back in, you can almost imagine it. If you just sit here and you like allow your eyes to close and you drop in for a moment, you can feel yourself come back. So in my work, I do a lot of embodiment practices because I find that uh, when we are embodied, 
then we are connected and then we can tap into that intuition and self-trust, right? The intuition lives inside of the body. So we've got to come back to it in order to actually hear and listen. So embodiment practices can be anything from meditation. Meditation is so powerful. We, you know, we hear about this all the time, but five minutes a day can change your brain chemistry, can change your immunity, can change uh, the way your brain fires. There's so much science and research on, on the benefits of meditation. So taking five minutes a day, to simply be with yourself is massive. Um, I, on my website, I have a free body scan meditation, which is simply, yeah, it's simply a a 10 minute quick check-in with the body noticing, right? Like noticing feet. How are you doing today? Legs? How are you doing today? And really allowing, because we talk about, if we want to listen to the body, we have to train ourselves to listen. And that takes slowness that takes embodiment that takes practice of of getting here. Another embodiment practice that I love um, is called nonlinear movement. Oh, and this one, with that. Uh, it's so good. So it is what it sounds like nonlinear movement. It literally is just allowing the body to move in free form, however it wants to move. So I'll put on music for 10 minutes and I'll literally just shake and throw my body around. Um, we, we know now that the body keeps the score, right? The body holds trauma, the body holds emotion. And in order to release that, we have to move it. If we think of these things as like stuck energy, they have to be moved. So nonlinear movement is a really great way to move energy, to move anything that feels stuck. If you have a really hard conversation with someone and it's, it's, uh, you know, you feel yourself after it. You're like, Oh, I feel so angsty. And Mm -hmm. yeah. One great practice is to get up and shake it off literally to physically shake. If you've ever watched the discovery channel and you watch like, uh, like a lion chase a gazelle and the gazelle gets away, you'll notice immediately after the gazelle will shake, right? They'll shake off the adrenaline dogs. They shake, they shake Mm -hmm. off adrenaline humans. We don't have a shaking practice, but it's incredibly powerful to allow the body to release things. And it's an, it's a practice of embodiment. So nonlinear movement is a huge one. I do, um, anything that allows you to really get in the body. Yoga is a great way to do that. Um, I said meditation, but any of these practices that allow you to really get back in and notice what's going on with you are great for, for stepping back into, uh, this relationship with self. And compare that for us to, what you might've done in terms of movement in the past. Cause you had mentioned yeah. earlier and walking through your transformation, you said like, I just briefly referenced, like I used to do things that weren't necessarily the way my body wanted to move. So like, how have your workouts kind of evolved as you've gone through this experience? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. So it's, it's always uh, not what we do, but why we do it. Right. So with movement for me, I used to exercise to burn calories. I used to exercise to punish myself. I used to exercise because I ate too much pizza. Now I exercise because I recognize that my body loves movement and because I feel really good when I do, and I notice a shift in my energy. So I think when we can make these small tweaks and and change the why, the what doesn't always have to change. Sometimes it does. I know for me, I've been in different seasons where my body likes to move differently. I used to love running. I used to absolutely love it. Now I don't love it so much. I really love more meditative movement like yoga or Pilates. Um, But every once in a while, if I feel like uh, a run, 
I'll, I'll jump on the treadmill for 20 minutes. Right. Um, and just kind of asking the body, how do you want to move today? We spend a lot of time, uh, a lot of times telling, having our mind tell us how our body should move as opposed to asking the body, which is so wise and full of wisdom body. How do you want to move today? And the body always wants to move. This is another thing. I think that when we talk about, um, you know, the fear of trusting the body, if I trust my body, I'm just going to want to lay on the couch all day. Absolutely not. Your body always wants movement because movement feels good and movement moves energy and movement allows the body to release things and to, uh, to, to actually, yeah, to release anything that's stuck. And so really having that conversation body, what would feel good today to move? This is a, this is a huge thing I do, um, with clients in our very beginning sessions is, is re or shifting the way we think about movement, right? How are we thinking about it and how can we start to think about it and how can we allow the body to lead us towards the movement it wants? And I think going back to what we were talking about earlier, sometimes we have to learn that, right? Yeah. Sometimes we, we do have to take the classes and, and, and do the workouts and understand, oh, that's what, that's what my body enjoys. My body really likes weightlifting. My husband is a great example. He's a former professional athlete and he has to move his body or else he feels crazy, right? He has to lift weights. He has to be in the gym for a certain amount of time or else he's not getting the release that his body needs. I don't necessarily need the same thing, right? I don't need to go bench press and I don't actually even know the names of, of certain weightlifting things, you but got the bench I don't, press. you're good. <laughs> bench press, deadlifts. That's yep, right. That's, that's one. one. Yeah. I don't necessarily need to do that. Um, I've been exploring it though. And being like, Oh, does my body cool. feel good when I, when I do these certain, certain movements and it does. Right. So just learning what is, what is actually making the body feel the very best. That's awesome. And you know, I'd love for you to there, this is like a huge question. So you don't have to go into a ton yeah. of detail. Cause I know we've been talking for a while, but I'd love for you to kind of describe the transition you've had with food too, yeah. especially just with like you seeming to have so much knowledge about food and like food pairing, like you always, mm -hmm. whenever you post the things that you're making, like the combinations of things you put together are really interesting. And I'm sure that's yeah. come from listening to what you're interested in eating and your body, like telling you what you're, you're craving. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I was a chef for uh, eight years in LA and that was a huge part of my story and my work. And in that time, I was still operating in a pretty dysfunctional relationship with food for my own body. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't using food as a tool to nourish myself. I was using food as a tool to either gain weight or lose weight or whatever, whatever it was. I had quite a, a distorted relationship with food, right? And so when I, when I went through my journey of being kind to myself and, and healing a lot of these things and healing, um, thought patterns, my relationship with food really shifted. And now I see it as one of the most enjoyable things that we possibly have access to, right? Uh, food. I think that when we learn how to be intuitive with food, we get to learn how to be intuitive in other areas of life in the same way that we were saying how we do one thing, it, it transfers into so many areas. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I really learned to love playing with food, uh, learned to love recognizing what feels good when I eat it. I used to be a huge meat eater and then I stopped eating meat for a while just because I didn't, I didn't feel great on it. And now being pregnant, all I want is meat <laughs> and just really learning like, oh, my body needs different things in different seasons. Sure. And how can I trust that? How can I lean into that? How can I respond to that? Um, and, you know, I, I also went through a really big hormone balancing journey, which is a different part of my story, but recognizing 
when I eat certain foods, I just don't feel very good, right? Caffeine is a great example. There was mm-hmm. a time where I couldn't do caffeine because I was feeling it in my adrenals and I could tell this is making me not feel well, but it took me slowing down and doing some research and understanding that that's what was happening, right? So now when I think about our relationships with food, I, I always want it to be fun for people. It should be something that's celebratory, something that's communal, something that's exciting, Sometimes it's just functional, right? Sometimes we just have to eat and that's okay too. But, but we are created for pleasure. We are humans that are created for pleasure and enjoyment and experience. And we can infuse that into the way we do food. Do you think that any of that, um, you know, just kind of like dysfunctional piece of it came out of being a chef and it being your job, like to be around food so much? I, I asked that question because like, I've been through that place of where I just had so much other like personal turmoil and chaos that like this whole nutrition thing, it, even though I knew the principles of why the things I had learned and did and, and encouraged other people to try worked, I was just kind of like, I want nothing to do with this right now. I want nothing to do with working out right now. Like it just feels like too much. And yeah. I felt like a lot of that for me came from it just being like all I was eating, breathing and sleeping, mm-hmm. training 30 plus classes a week, like for almost two years straight. Yeah. All consuming. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, I think there's definitely a correlation. I think there's definitely a relationship between the dysfunction and the overconsumption, right? Sometimes it's, it's kind of like, like binging. If we are yeah. over consuming anything, it's going to make us sick. And so sometimes when we're so inundated with something, it can just by nature be making us ill. So whether it's, you know, I'm overexposed to food and I'm always around it and I'm always thinking about the next thing that needs to be made or created or cooked. I think that has the capacity to, to make me, to make me ill. And then I think there's other factors within that, but absolutely. I think there's a correlation. Yeah. And I think also like the pressure of like, well, Mm -hmm. I need to have this look perfect or be right or whatever, however you want to define it as like the best that. Yeah like you have to have it figured out all the time and you're a human mm-hmm. being. So it's okay if you don't. <laughs> totally. Absolutely. Well, I want to be respectful of your time and I so appreciate you coming on today. So we're going to move into our fun little lightning round. Yes. And I want to stay on the topic of food. Um, yeah. What is, you know, you mentioned like you're having totally different cravings with being pregnant. What are some things that have kind of surprised you that you're having cravings for, whether that's because like you haven't eaten it in a while or it's like an odd combination. Oh my gosh. My food life has changed so much. My husband makes fun of me. He's like, you're a different person. I'm like, well, there's babies, babies eating half yeah, of it. There's a different um, person in there. So yeah, my, the amount of barbacoa tacos I want is insane. I want like barbacoa tacos. I want sausage pizza, like so much sausage pizza. I was not doing dairy for a while. And okay. on pregnancy, I want so much dairy. I want like, like cheese, just so much cheese. <laughs> which must be like a fat content or something. My body's craving like extra fat. Sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. I haven't had any crazy combinations yet, but I will, I'll have crazy, um, like out of the blue cravings, like a, like I need a pickle right now, or I really need olives or I need like, uh, high salt things. I'm really craving. Um, since moving from LA to Nashville, what has been the biggest transition for you guys? whether that's like culturally, just professionally in your relationship, totally. Yeah. I think, I think that the people, the people are very different. Um, 
two things, people and energy. So the people, one, I'll share the story really briefly. Our next door neighbors came across the street with a huge plate of cookies the day we moved in. <laughs> nice. And I was like, where am I? <laughs> that would never happen in, in LA. In yeah. all the places I lived in LA, I didn't know my neighbors. So one, the people are so kind and so, so much slower. The energy is slower. So in LA, you know, LA, New York, they, they're such fast paced, high energy dreamer cities. Nashville is a little more uh, slow and settled down and family oriented. So it's just adjusting to that pace of life that's, that's different for us. Have you found like a new favorite restaurant or like coffee shop? I know you'd mentioned earlier there was a place close by that you just love their cold brew. Yeah, there's a, there's a coffee shop right by our house that I love called District. Um, the restaurants in Nashville are bomb. They are so good. Like I, I think the food here is probably on par with LA. Um, there's such, such amazing food. And there's a, there's a couple taco spots that we frequent. Like the tacos here are so nice. good. Yeah. You referenced throughout our conversation, a couple different authors and just people that you have spent a lot of time looking at their research. Do you have any like you know, your top two favorite books or podcasts or something that you'd want to share with the listeners. Yeah, absolutely. So my favorite book when it comes to our relationship with uh, the body is called Women, Food, and God by Janine Roth. And she was, uh, she's a pioneer really in, um, in the world of emotional eating and spirituality and the way it all ties together. She's phenomenal. So women, women, food, and God. Um, And then there's a, there's a book that I just finished actually that I am obsessing over. It's called belonging by Toko Pa. And it's beautiful, especially given the current climate where so many of us have been very disconnected from community Mm -hmm. and belonging. Um, It really looks at, at how we do relationship and how we belong to one another. And it's, it's such a beautiful read. Cool. Well, we'll have yeah. to check both of those out for sure. I'm always looking yeah. for new books. Me too. And very Love last you. question. What is your shameless plug? So if, if somebody listens to this all the way through and they could only take away one thing from, from this chat, from the work that you do, from the experiences that you've had, what would it be? And then this is kind of a two-parter. Tell us where we can find you and stay connected with you in terms of social media and all that. Yeah. My simple shameless plug is you can trust yourself. Like you absolutely can trust yourself and it is a journey to do it. And it is the best journey you will ever go on because if you trust yourself, you walk into the life that you love. Um, so that's my shameless plug. Beautiful. Uh, you can, yeah, you can find me uh, on social media at by Kara Elise, B-Y-K-A-R-E-L-I-S-E. And then my website's the same by com. And then on my website, uh, there's links to my podcast, which Perfect. is just called, you can trust yourself and all the other programs and coaching and things I do. Awesome. Well, we'll link all of that down in the show notes. Kara, it's been such a pleasure chatting with you. I've really loved this conversation. I know we'd been talking about it for a while, so I'm happy we finally made it happen. For everybody who listened today, please share this message with anybody that you know. We obviously spent a ton of time talking about females, but like Kara said a few times throughout this, it definitely applies to the guys out there too. And Mm -hmm. the best way to continue to encourage people to do this type of work, this inner work that we talked about as being a little bit scary, there's fear associated with it. It's hard is to listen to these types of things and and hear how like you put such a spin on it that makes it sound very accessible and has also really changed your life in such amazing ways. So if there's any reason to try to do it, you're living that example every single day. And I appreciate you opening up about all of that. Um, This has been another amazing episode of The Fix. Hope you guys liked it. Again, if you did, please share it. 
post it on Instagram, take a screenshot of it from whichever platform you're listening, leave us a review, all super helpful for the show. And we hope you have an awesome rest of your day. Thanks, Kara.